This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. All the people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The bane of this market is not tariffs or interest rates or inflation. No, the real killer is great expectations. That's the theme of this earnings season, including today with the Dow dipping 64 points, while the S&P inched up 0.25% and NASDAQ, wow, advanced 0.91%. Every time I look at at a stock after reports, I'm mesmerized by how horrendous it acts. The culprit, I think this market has moved up so far since Donald Trump won the election in 2016 that the expectations have gotten totally out of whack up here, even after the recent declines. Now, there's certainly the possibility that things could change tonight. That's right, because Apple's report, some people are going to say, this very evening will break the spell I just mentioned. Companies sold more iPhones than most of the bullish analysts thought, uh, including the 10, which the community had derided endlessly. The service revenue bolstered by 100 million new customers year over year, bringing paying members to 270 million, accelerated dramatically. And the expected big guy down didn't occur, even if the rumored $400 billion buyback didn't occur either. Instead, you got a new $100 billion buyback and a 16% increase in an already very large dividend. It seems that analysts who had made negative assumptions based on weak numbers from surveys they had done of component suppliers then extrapolated to the actual prestige of earnings were far too downbeat, causing the estimates to be shaved endlessly and lots of downgrades in anticipation of the quarter. But before you think the tenor of this market is going to change, remember that Apple is truly the vast exception to the rule. Its estimates and any enthusiasm that once been generated by the largest company in the world had long since diminished. For the vast majority of stocks, though, it's quite the opposite. I'm saying that Apple is the outlier. Many stocks have just uh, kind of just been set up for disappointment because totally unlike Apple, there's been endless number bumps and upgrades. Isn't that the exact opposite of what we've heard in the last few days from Apple, right? Upgrades. Now, some of this thesis is self-inflicted. Remember, last week, Caterpillar's management gave you a monster guide-up, literally raising its full-year forecast by $2 on the strength of powerful worldwide demand for pretty much everything they make, construction, mining, oil, you name it. I've been a cat follower from way back, and even I was stunned by the sheer strength of these numbers. And it sure sounded like the fabulous economic boom that created such bounty had more room, much more room to run, much more room. But there was one problem. Kat's chief financial officer and its head of investor relations declared that we'd seen the high watermark, a phrase that will live in infamy as far as I'm concerned, for margin expansion because of raw cost issues that will be devil the company in the second half of the year. When I go over the conference call, and I did many times, I realized that management simply didn't discuss its business rationally. 
I wish I could be in there and coaching them because I would have made this one so different. As someone who prognosticates for a living, I would have given the streets some different wording. I would have said this. We need to see some raw costs come down and we need to see, uh, be sure that our supply chain is rationalized or we may not be capable of maintaining this pace of earnings. Huh. Then you'd understand how CAT could guide up, whereas the high watermark nonsense made you feel like they should have guided down. See, different from Apple. We got another big industrial today that gave us some self-inflicted wounds. Cummins, Cummins, CMI. Just like Caterpillar, Cummins talked about the same strong end markets for the, uh, its engines. But the company had some component degradation that caused them to take some serious charges. As a result, the stock took a 4% beating. For the most part, though, this market's injuries are not self-inflicted. It's inflicted by the analyst. Stocks are the victims of a big-picture so-called macro forces that are beyond any company's control. In many cases, these forces are stopping people from buying high-quality stocks and keeping analysts from pounding the table. And it's creating some very bizarre action. Let's start with the one that I think is probably the anti-Apple. It's called United Technologies, UTX. Here's a company of three big businesses, climate controls, elevators, and aerospace. All three were much better than expected. Check that. Much, much better than expected. Yet the stock has done nothing but go down since the quarter was announced. Uh, and why is that? Well, I think because all the analysts are expecting much, much better numbers, and they got much better numbers. I think a lot of people, when they're looking at this company, were simply saying, hey, you know what? That's as good as it gets. Let's get out of Dodge, especially if the president goes after China and the PRC decides to, to uh, wreck the best market for honey for uh, United Technologies, Otis Elevator business. See, that's what happened here. That's what happened. That's again, I want to distinguish between Apple and United Technologies. The expectations were huge for United Technologies. The expectations had come down for Apple. Then there's IBM. I still can't believe the stock has barely had an inch of respite from its recent decline, even as I could easily argue that IBM reported a very strong quarter. We're finally about to see the faster-growing part of the business overtake the slower-growing legacy business. IBM's got a 4% yield. Darn thing trades at just 10 times earnings. But nobody wants it. No. Next up, this is probably the one that is most upsetting to me. Goldman Sachs. This stock has performing so badly, it is really hard for me to look at. I took it off my screen at one point today. I know we hear a lot of, go- of last good quarter chatter this year. But you know what? I could actually argue that this was actually the last bad quarter for these guys. And it was still much better than expected. Now, I know as an alumnus that what Goldman Sachs does best is navigate volatility for its customers. It also has an amazing M&A advisory business. And M&A has caught fire here. This is Goldman's time. Yet, you really wouldn't know it from watching the share price. The fact that the stock of the premier firm on Wall Street sells at nearly 10 times earnings tells me that something has gone very wrong with the way analysts are analyzing this company. They had expectations that it would be good. It was good. And now they hate it. Okay. Let's look at this one that's pertinent today, Under Armour. This morning, the athletic apparel company gave you a clean, solid quarter that was right within the parameters of the turnaround that CEO Kevin Plank predicted the last time he came on the show. I think Kevin's executing precisely how he should. He didn't overpromise, and he's not under-delivering. I know the long knives are really out for this guy and his company, and at one point, the stock was down more than almost any other stock name in the market. But only investors came to their senses, which is why the stock of Under Armour actually closed up nicely. Still, the animosity here is pretty insane. And when the stock was down today, I felt like a total dope 
telling you that the term was on plan when I praised uh, Plank on Squawk on the Street. I think, though, in the end, the Bears have overplayed their hand. And Kevin delivered everything he said he would when he came on and more. The turn is all going. How about the defense stocks? Have you looked at these? South Korea may be talking to North Korea, but did you notice the first stops that the new Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, made on his trip? He went to Saudi Arabia, he went to Israel, went to Jordan. He's building a coalition that means to contain Iran. If there's one thing that's going to mean, it's arms deals. But look at the stock of Northrop Grumman. This thing, which everybody loved, and the expectations got really great, has pulled back more than 50 points from its high, including a brutal 4.6% downdraft today. You think Northrop Grumman cut numbers? No, it raised them. Raised them big, but it doesn't seem to matter because people want the impossible from this company. Finally, I don't know if you caught last night's interview, but I mean, this was, this one made me sick. Allergan. Now, Al, did you, did you hear anything last night from Brent Saunders? Anything to justify the stock's astonishing pirouette from up four bucks to down eight bucks one session? Sure, there are rest of shareholders who want Brent Saunders to break up the company. But Brent wants to be sure that a breakup will be the right thing to do. Huh, that's dangerous. It's a, in, in the meantime, he's got a huge antidepressant drug, and, which you need if you're going to own the stock, and a major innovation in migraine treatment, which you definitely must have if you own the stock, waiting in the wings while the Botox franchise just keeps rolling along. That won't help you. I know there's a there's competition out there from advanced therapeutics and we have this company on. But that's already very much baked in the stock by this point. We have been waiting to buy some Allergan for my travel trust, which you can follow along at actionlaunchplus.com. With yesterday's pounding, I thought it's gotten a little ludicrous that this drug company, which has a much better growth rate, much faster than the vast majority of its peers, now trades at nearly nine times earnings. But this stock is so despised that it is toxic. It is third rail. It is swimming in the love canal. No, make that the Gowanus. I was over there the other day. Yeah, I smelled Allergan in the water. Problem is, this market simply wants too much out of practically every stock out there, unless there's little to no competition, no increase in roll costs, no exposure to China, and very little exposure to errant tweets coming from the White House. Investors simply aren't interested. The bottom line, when stock after stock it's, finds itself unable to rally off good numbers, problem is not the individual companies. It's with the analysts and the market. I think investors are judging these companies way too harshly. And many of their stocks are bargains down here, as the stock of Apple shows when expectations finally get so low that they are soundly thrashed and gains are once again par for the course. Bill in New York. Bill! Hi, Jim. A big bullyard to you. Listen. Jim, I yeah. want to know if you can tell me about Skyworks Solutions. I'm wondering if the recent downturn is a result of the, of the trade wars or is it a result of the relationship with uh, Apple? I think Although- it's really the latter. I mean, Liam Griffin has done a remarkable job. What did he do? He made the best, the best chipsets. And therefore, Apple picked the best chipsets. Now, I think the stock will go up off of uh, Apple's good numbers tonight. But then you're going to start hearing about the trade war again. So this one is one of those that is a roller coaster. Expectations were too high. Now they're too low. There's the possibility when the company reports later this week that the stock can rally. Why do I say that? Because Mr. Griffin has underpromised and overdelivered many, many times. And he's riding the strong growth rate that Apple had this quarter. How about John in Alabama? John! Hi, Jim. A big roll tide and go Eagles booyah to you. Well, I'll take that. I've got to tell you, I like what Howie did. People were critical. They, they should pound sand. What's shaking? 
Hey, I'm calling. I need your advice again. This time I'm asking about CRISPR Therapeutics, CRSP. It's been a real rocket uh, the last six months. It looks like they're doing great things. But is it too late? Have I missed the ride? I hear nothing but good things about the company. I hear nothing about ba- but bad things about the sector. So I can't recommend it up here when I have seen company after company just give up the ghost in the biotechs. All right. I am just mesmerized by how horribly the market is reacting to terrific earnings if the expectations are high. Very different from Apple, where the expectations were through the floor low, and it did the number. Now, this market is just asking for too much for most companies. Well, man, tonight, after a tough day on the averages, feel like all of the gains we've seen are being repealed? I'll try to make some sense of the action. Then, when the averages drop, it's time to be ready to pounce on the groups with the best rebound potential. I'm eyeing one such group in tonight's Off the Charts. And the grass might not be greener for Agco, but the, could the company still fertilize portfolios over the long term? It's a darn cheap stock. I've got the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. something crazy. We've now repealed nearly all the stock market's gains since Congress surprised us by passing its huge tax cut at the beginning of December. Yep, it's like the whole darn thing never happened. Does that make any sense? Or does this weakness represent an absurd overreaction? I'm beginning to believe it's the latter. You know, the litany we're starting to hear, though, is pretty frightening. At first, companies pay workers bonuses with their newfound cash, and then they search for things to buy. And in most cases, they're still trying to figure out the best use of the money or they're defaulting just to the usual buybacks. That's large businesses. I get that. I don't agree with it, but I get it. Now, in some cases, small to medium-sized businesses, though, there's been a real groundswell of interest in building and opening a second store, hiring more employees, expanding. How do I know this? Because I am possessed by the homework. I listen to a real, literally, I, I, I read hundreds of conference calls, and that's how I form my opinions. Let me give you some examples. I am on all the conference calls of the big utilities that have an intimate knowledge of actual electricity use. All else being equal, when you see a surge in demand for power, that means we're also witnessing a pickup in commerce. Last week, we spoke to Nick Akins. He's the CEO of American Electric Power, the largest power transmission plant in the country. He was adamant that the new tax code, coupled with Trump's administration's focus on deregulation, producing some very strong growth throughout his delivery zone, which spans from Texas to Ohio. The expansion is so robust that it's even spread to include a retail. That's right, brick and mortar retail, a group that had pretty much been written off and left for dead not that long ago. Then we have numbers from gigantic credit card processors like First Data, which was on last night, and Visa, which I follow very closely, showing that consumers are spending much more aggressively than they were before the tax reform. You can't manufacture those figures. It's just, and it's also not just about the rapidly rising price of gasoline, as some of the bearish wags would tell you. What else? When you look at the loan growth numbers from the regional banks, what do you see? Well, it, it may not be accelerating fast enough to please all the bulls. It sure is pretty impressive. What matters is that loan growth looks a lot better than it did before tax reform kicked in, as I am sure you will hear when we speak to regional powerhouse Colin Frost bankers later in the show. Not enough. Let's consider the results we're getting from the Real Estate Investment Trust. You know I follow them. I scrutinize the REITs involved in everything 
from the distribution of goods to the ones that build properties, sell include, or, or uh, malls, uh, shopping centers, medical office buildings, senior living. They're all well ahead of last year at this time. Things are truly much stronger. Again, I'm hearing a story of demand and deregulation. How about housing? I want you to go listen to the conference calls of Pulte, KB Holmes, Lennart, DR Horton. I know the stocks aren't acting that well, but when you consider how much interest rates have gone up over the last year, you have to be impressed that every one of these home builders is reporting remarkably strong numbers versus what we thought they would and versus last year. Huge positive. Finally, here's one from today. Take Ford, which released its April sales figures. Overall numbers, okay, down 4.7%. In line, the company some very strong results from the F-Series pickup truck, which is their main vehicle for small businesses, something you buy when you want to expand. So what are we supposed to think? Honestly, the idea that tax cuts have done nothing is patently, just, patently absurd. It's just absurd. They've led to a real step up in growth all over the country. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the stock market's recent weakness is wrong. We're now weighed down by other issues like tariff worries, inflation concerns, and those fears uh, make a lot of money managers just sell everything and walk away. I think that's taking it too far, though. The inputs I'm looking at are simply too positive to dismiss. At the end of the day, stocks are almost right back to where they were before Congress passed the tax cut, even though business is in much better shape. To me, that's kind of nuts, even with all the new big picture worries that we didn't have six months ago. It would be easy for me to be super negative here like so many others that I talked to, but when I look at the data, it tells me being too negative will be a mistake, something that the myriad short sellers in the stock of Apple, by the way, learned all too well after the close of today's trading. Much more we have money in. Going off the charts to spot some buying opportunities in the oil patch. Then it's a farming play that was up over 20% in 2017, but now the stock's getting crushed. Is it time to buy Agco or is today's drop a red flag? And uh, what the heck's happened to the banking group? After a puzzling earnings season for most of the group, I'm eyeing a regional bank that I think is able to buck the trend. So stick with Kramer. When the border averages were down most of the day, a common occurrence in this volatile market, well, you need to be ready to pounce on the groups that have the best re- rebound potential. On a bad day, everything in this market can go lower. But some stocks bounce a lot faster than others, and we're on the lookout for those. So what might be worth picking at in the weakness here? We're going off the charts to answer that question with the help of the Mark Chaikin. He's the legendary technician who's the founder and CEO of Chaikin Analytics. You might have seen him ran the closing bell the other day. Regular viewers should recognize his name because Chaikin invented some of the most important tools in technical analysis. The accumulation distribution line, the Chaikin volume indicator, and the ones we most often, the eponymous Chaikin oscillator and Chaikin money flow. The guy is real good at this stuff. How does he identify groups that you might want to circle the wagons around? Okay, let's start by looking at what's been working. Lately, the price of oil has made a nice move higher, even as it pulled back today. But Chaikin points out that the broader energy sector has spent most of the year lagging behind the S&P 500. It was really only last month when energy started outperforming the broader market. That said, there's one subgroup here that's been on a tear for more than six months, the refiners. And Chaikin believes they won't be derailed by a few ugly sessions like we had from most of today. The refiners have constantly been making new highs, and he thinks they're viable into any kind of pullback, which is exactly what we're getting. And look, if we're going to talk about this industry, we need to address 
Marathon Petroleum. The Kramer Uber Fave refiner with a stock that's been pummeled for the past two days, in part because the numbers came in a bit light, and eh, not much so when reported this morning, but more important because it just announced a gigantic $23 billion acquisition of the pur- purchase of the refinery rival Endeavor to become the largest refiner in our country. Marathon closed at $81 last Friday. Now it's nearly $73. Now I'm a big believer in this deal. However, it is a cash and stock transaction, so there are a ton of arbitrage guys who want to bet on this deal by going long our endeavor and shorting Marathon Pete. Nevertheless, take a look at Marathon Pete's daily chart. Even with the beating this stock has taken over the past two sessions, Chaykin likes what he sees here. What makes this picture so attractive other than those nice, cool green, red, and yellow things? First, you need to understand that there are three important indicators here. You got the Chaykin money flow. We call it the CMF. Measures the level of buying and selling pressure in a given security. Then there's a Chaykin relative strength index, which tells you how the stock's been forming compared In other words, it's a relationship to the S&P 500 over the past six months. Finally, at the very bottom, there's the Chaykin Power Gauge. Really important, people. It's a proprietary tool of Mark himself that stills 20 different fundamental and technical inputs. Yes, you heard me, fundamental, into a reading that can range from very bearish red to very bullish green. Now, ideally, if Chaykin's going to recommend a stock, he wants to see all three of these indicators flashing bullish signals. So let's get back to Marathon Petroleum. As far as Chaykin's concerned, this is a stock that has nearly everything going for it from a technical perspective, even as it's obliterated over the past couple of days. So this is a bit of an oddity, isn't it? When you look at these three metrics, though, what do you say? The Chaykin power gauge, the ribbon at the bottom, is green, which means it's in bullish territory, even despite this, despite that decline. The Chaykin Relative Strength Index, RSI, also in positive territory, as is the Chaykin Money Flow. Look at that nice move at the end. You're suggesting big institutions were buying Marathon pretty aggressively, at least until many of them unloaded over the past two sessions. I think they unloaded it incorrectly. I am with Mark here fundamentally and technically. In Chaykin's view, Marathon is a buy into this weakness. I got to tell you, this is really right. Even with that not-so-hot quarter the company just reported, the Endeavor merger will turn Marathon into a powerhouse, the top refiner in this country, the selling here is very excessive. What other stocks satisfy Chaykin's three criteria here? All right, we got two more. First, take a look at another one that we used to talk about all the time because the CEO retired that we like so much. This is the daily chart of EOG. Okay, EOG Resources. Big independent oil and gas producer, one of the largest in the country. Last month, EOG broke out to the upside thanks to the resurgence in the price of crude. That's been very positive for the chart. This is really almost pure oil. Uh, this uh, Pioneer and Diamondback are the ones, maybe Concha, that people are very excited about. The Chaykin Power Gauge at the bottom is green. Just went there, okay? The Chaykin Money Flow has been in positive territory this whole time. A little over a month, a lot of institutional buying, very strong. And EOG's relative strength has also picked up just in the recent weeks. When you got all three of these going for you, Chaykin thinks you are looking real good. Now, if the price of crude keeps falling here, he also points out that EOG is a nice floor of support at around 110, so it's got a little room there. Uh, and that's down more than seven points from where it's currently trading. I think you might want to think about picking some up in, the pull, in a pullback. I actually think for my Chapel Trust that this is where we should be evacuating to, 110. Uh, if you feel compelled to own an oil producer here, I think you do a lot worse than EOG, probably best in show other than Pioneer uh, and uh, the one I'm looking at lately, which is Anadarko APC. Last but not least, are you sitting down? Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Chaykin's drawn to one more stock here, and I'm almost afraid to show you. I mean, maybe I can't because it's a little dangerous to show. I don't know. Uh, 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 all right. Go ahead. Let me block it. Yes, it's General Electric. Yeah. 
that General Electric, the one that spent the last year and a half getting put through the meat grinders, the company's many long-term mistakes finally caught up. Remember, the charts are not part of the zeitgeist. They're empirical and they have no emotion. The thing is, when Chaikin looks at GE's chart, he likes what he sees. For starters, the Chaikin power gauge turned bullish just last week, okay? Uh, it had been in neutral territory for 18 months, so he considers this positive turn a very, very big deal. Second, while GE's relative strength remains weak, the Chaikin money flow has started to pick up of late. That's pretty interesting, given the fact that it's just been such a dog. It's basically flat after months and months and months spent in negative territory. This is a real look forward into the future. A lot of this comes down to the better-than-fear quarter that GE reported last week. Investors are no longer quite so worried about the liquidity situation. As CEO John Flanner has been cutting costs aggressively, stock gapped up on the news, and based on the action of the chart, Chagin would be surprised if this is the beginning of a longer-term rebound for over a year. Now, remember, we still have some powerful analysts like Steve Tusa over J.P. Morgan saying, no, 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 no. But you know what? Over a year, for over a year now, GE was indeed an annuity short. Money managers could bet on it with uh, bet against it with impunity. Now, take it thinks the shorts have covered and the longs have started making their moves. Once again, there's some powerful analysts who say this is not true. You're going against them. Here's the bottom line: in a confusing and volatile market, it is good to have touchstones you can fall back on. Something like the technicals that can help identify which stocks have a better chance of rebounding when the smoke clears. There's no anger here. There's just a chart. These charts interpreted by Mark Chaikin suggest the Marathon Peak, EOG Resources, and General Electric, that's a refiner, that's an oil and gas company, and yes, a combined industrial, are exactly the kind of stocks you might want to buy into the current weakness. Personally, I think you're getting a real bargain in Marathon, and if it goes lower, you can pick up even more at a better price as our nation's largest refinery at the time of this epic return is absolutely right to buy. Paul in Alabama. Paul. Booyah, Jim, from the Hillbilly Riviera in South Alabama. SWN has been an earnings beater the last two times and seems to be in pretty good shape financially, but has a little debt which they could sell off a property to get easily get rid of. The stock goes up and down like the wind, rolls like the tide. Is this ever going to be a 6 or $7 stock? From 2009 to 2014, the stock was 40 bucks. Well, the problem is, sir, that as much as oil has done well, natural gas has just cratered here. That's one of the reasons why Chesapeake broke three. We are in a bifurcated world. If a company has too much natural gas, the stock just keeps going lower. If it has too much oil, then all it does is keep going higher. So I have to tell you, I am not a fan of Southwestern. It can bounce, but that's about all because natural gas is in surfet. We have more than Saudi Arabia. Jason in Utah. Jason. Jim, I love your show. Thank, Thank you. you for everything you do. Thank you. Uh, my question is about Arconic uh, taking a beating after this last quarter. I increased my position as it dropped down. I'm still down about 10%. Um, saw a couple of downgrades today. Uh, should I buy more here? Okay. Much um, I think you're going to have to wait this one out. And just so you know, um, it was my um, – when I was talking with my Action Alerts gang, I said this was the single worst conference call of the year. I mean, I had – the worst. I can't think of a single thing that was positive about it other than the fact that it ended. In this kind of market, you need to be ready to pounce on groups that have strong rebound potential. The charts point to Marathon. Ooh, I like that one. That's Marathon. Pete. EOG Resources. Good if oil bounces. And GE. I think it'd be worth picking up some Marathon right here. EOG, if it goes back to 110. And EIG, you know, GE, if you got a real strong stomach. Do I have any Pepto here? I forgot to book the Yeah, there you go. Much more mad money ahead, including my take on a company that blew away its earnings results, and it still didn't matter. Don't miss my exclusive with Agco to see what's ahead. Then it's 
up a company that's up more than 20% year to date, and it's a bank! Is it time to buy? I'm not even going to mention it, but we'll talk to the CEO. And the lawyer calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round, so stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. But it's a wonder drug, for heaven's sake. Whatever happened to things like wonder drugs? Or did we all have to be so dads and okay drugs saving some lives? <laughs> uh, Jim, to your point about trade. Uh... <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. parse an earnings report in this chaotic, topsy-turvy market. Consider the case of Agco, the world's third largest maker of farm equipment. Here's a stock that's been pummeled over ever since the market-wide peak in late January. And you can understand why if you're worried about the impact of a trade war. Agco is the kind of company that could get hurt in a world where our country's disputes with the Chinese keeps escalating. And let's not forget the EU, too. Then this morning, Agco comes out and reports some phenomenal headline numbers. The company delivered a monster 23-cent earnings beat off a 12-cent basis, much higher than expected revenue, up more than 23% year-over-year, 14% on a constant currency basis. North American business, in particular, on fire, up nearly 30%. Even when you back out the positive impact of the week, dollar management boosted its dividend by 7%. What happens? Stock actually gets things. It loses 2.4%, kind of like what I said at the top of the show. It's just no one seems to be satisfied with anything. Okay, so the guidance, Agco only raised its full-year earnings forecast by 20 cents, which includes the 23-cent beat they just reported, meaning their guidance is pretty conservative. Does that make sense? Market being too hard? Let's take a closer look with Martin Rishinagin. He's the chairman and CEO of Agco. Get a better sense of the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Rishinagin, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, good afternoon, Jim. Pleasure, like oh. always. All right, Martin. Now, I am a little confused. Candidly, like the market, because you had such an amazing quarter. I did expect that you'd be guiding up a little bit more, but you are conservative. That is your nature. But I shouldn't necessarily be reading from that guide that perhaps you think things are going to soften. No, I think Europe is pretty positive. North America is back. Uh, only South America is a little weaker. Uh, but I think uh, that will change because I know from the seed guys and the input guys, fertilizer and pesticides, that farmers are very active and that they are doing well. So I think it's all related to the subsidy program, which is basically that the state comes up with uh, subsidized interest rates, uh, which will publish uh, 1st of July. And uh, by then, I think the market will be very strong again. We have cold weather in the United States. Some of the farmers are trying to decide whether they should use corn, grow corn, which, of course, we have in surplus, or grow soy, but they're worried about China. It doesn't seem them uh, seem to be stopping stopping them from buying equipment. No, they don't. And uh, bad soil conditions uh, are very good for our high-tech equipment, so that is excellent. Of course, as you mentioned, we like free trade. We don't like all kind of protectionism. We don't like sanctions. We don't like customs. We want to do business all over the world, and I think we will be in a position to do that also in the future. The problem with uh, China, for example, hitting back is not so much our problem, but it's a problem for the American farmers. So uh, what uh, the government does do right now, I think, is not really well thought through. Uh, and they're always surprised by the reactions. I hope they learn. 
Fair enough. There you go. I mean, I think that they regard this as par for the course, that you, unless you take them on and our country takes some hits, you'll never win. Do you think that that is uh, two zero sum? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's uh, stupid to believe that uh, with this kind of protectionism you can achieve anything. That's maybe old people with old ideas, like Wilbur Ross, who doesn't know uh, about uh, business anymore. I know him pretty well. The guy seems to be uh, sharp. He made money when basically Bush sanctioned uh, steel. And so maybe he believes that this is good for the industry. I don't think so. The steel problem uh, is related to overcapacities globally. And the steel problem here in the US is old-fashioned equipment, not efficient, lousy quality. So we need to do our homework properly. And then we are really good in uh, doing business uh, like we basically do. All right, don't want to uh, get back and forth on this, but I do want to distinguish that Nucor I do not feel is like that. I hardly believe that you think Nucor is like that, but that's not where we're going. No, no, no. Right? I mean, Nucor is a fine company, yes. Thank you. Okay, you're covered uh, 70% on your steel costs, as I understand it. You're not, this is not going to hurt you, what we're seeing right now, 40% increase year over year? Yes, we don't think so. And we also uh, normally price for inflation. I think we should be fine. It's all baked in. But let's say all the volatility which we see uh, makes, us, uh, makes us being a little bit more cautious when you uh, think about the, you mentioned that we have a conservative guidance. I agree. Uh, so, but let's say there are a lot of uh, loose ends here and we need to be a little bit, I want to be on the safe side. Okay, uh, Germany, UK, France, these are new to me uh, having you call them out. What is going on? Because those have been areas that I kind of thought would just be so-so. Yeah, no, Germany is a very good market. Basically, we are the market leader in all those markets. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, they are important for us. We manufacture globally. We have, su have super technologies, products, which uh, with very strong brands in those regions. And therefore, for us, it's very important that Germany, France and England are doing well. Uh, finally, do you uh, uh, you obviously have strong views. You said that you knew Wilbur Ross once at one time. How do you articulate you are an industrialist? How do you articulate your views to uh, uh, this regime that we have in our country? Or you just have to stand back and say, ouch, this is not the way I would do it. I try to very politely uh, raise my voice, but uh, I think right now we have people in Washington who don't listen. They don't read, they don't listen, and they have a uh, maybe not the brightest background, I would say. All right, I will say that's definitive and not beyond that. Martin Rishinagin, Chairman CEO of AGO. Great to have you on the show, sir. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Tim. Uh, all right. Um, well, uh, He's a free trader. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light of the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. It's time for the light round. I'm going to start with Brian in New York. Brian. Hey, Professor Kramer. I was waiting, uh, booyah, by the way. Thank I was you. waiting to buy Goodyear. Keep and finally, waiting. There's nothing there. There's nothing don't there. Buy, don't don't buy, Let's go to don't Jimmy buy. in New Jersey. Could be talking to myself. Jimmy. Hey, what's up, Jim? How you doing? This is Jim. Not much. Jersey. How about you? What's up there, partner? 
Good, good, man. Uh, I got a question on germs. There's been a lot of debate recently on it, and I'm just trying to figure now, out now, what... Now, look, we got enough problems like the Gilead's all down there, and the cell gene, the downgrade, the Regeneron. We don't got to go down to the food chain and buy the germ. Let's go to Josh, also in my home state of Jersey. Josh. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jim. Okay. Love your show. Love you. I bought uh, CGNX in November at 63. Oh, no machine vision. No machine vision. No, no, no. There is no vision. Uh Uh-uh. We like machine learning, but not machine vision. That's why we like NVIDIA. Susan in Minnesota. Susan. Uh, Yes, Jim. Uh, First-time caller. I'd like to get some information about Box. Box is a winner. Aaron Levy, I've liked this guy since 12 bucks. I, of course, was the only guy who did, but that's right. I mean, I really like him personally. I'm saying the stock. Let's go to L- oh, L.A. in Pennsylvania. L.A. Hey, hi, Jim. Great to be on your show. I love it. Wow. At yesterday's highs, I sold off all but one of my equities because the market is too crazy right now. It is a little the crazy. I kept, I'm not going to disagree. The one I kept at its low point, I added more shares to applied materials. Look, Booyah. I'm not going to fight you on that. I know a lot of people sell live materials because they feel like it's a play on DRAMs. I think it's much bigger than that. It's got a big display business. I'm going to concur that applied materials is just too low down here. Let's go to Ted Washington. Booyah from the Hanford Nuclear Reservation in eastern Washington State. Wow. It's, it's, it's sunny there all the time. <laughs> What's up? Well, I retired in November, and my parent company was purchased by Jacobs Engineering. So I've got a real simple question. Do I buy, do I sell it? No, no, it? Jenkins Engineering, people really like the search stocks. Right? Jenkins Engineering is a very well-run company. I'm going to say I endorse. I need to go to Ross in Louisiana. Ross. Booyah, you're the man, Kramer. I try to be. What's up? High Crush Partners, HDLP. No, no, too niche, too involved with the price of oil. The Saudis decide they're going to start selling oil. We're going to say, wow, why didn't Kramer tell me to get out of High Crush? Because I was crushed. Let's go to Blake in Illinois. Blake. Hey, Jim. Big booyah to you. Yes, what's happening? Thanks for taking my call and all you do. Keep me well educated, my friend. Uh, Fine. My question is about the company Editas. Ticker EDIT. Oh, boy, another one of these small biotech companies. And I got all the guys who would possibly buy them just absolutely just on the ropes. So I'm going to have to say pass. And that lays up the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. So far this earnings season, I feel like most of the banks just haven't gotten the kind of credit they deserve for reporting some truly excellent results, as I talked about at the top of the show. But there have been a few exceptions that just really have been standouts, ones that have delivered strong quarters and actually saw their stocks, stocks rally. 
exceptions like Colin Frost Bankers, CFR. It's a Texas-based regional bank that's the number one player in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. Yet last Thursday, Colin Frost shot the lights out and the stock roared higher. But you may have missed it because they reported on the busiest day of earnings season. Now, the company delivered a bountiful 13-cent earnings beat off of a $1.48 basis, higher than expected revenue, rising net interest margins at an average loan up 10% year-over-year. Since then, Colin Frost has been performing like a champ. In fact, the stock's now up more than 20% for 2018. Can this stock keep climbing? Let's check in with Phil Green, the chairman and CEO of Colin Frost Bankers. Find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Green, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Great to be back. All right, so Phil, a lot of banks did not report very big loan growth. You had double-digit loan growth. How much of this is just an, an element of what I would just regard as being deregulation, a sense that the tax, the tax changes are working, and let's just call it, because I think I love when you said it, a sense of optimism in Texas? Well, you know, Jim, there's really a couple of things. Uh, one, Texas is a great economy. It's arguably the best economy to operate, I think, in the world. And we're taking advantage of that because we're in some great markets. I think the Tax Act has helped. I think some of the um, investment that's been uh, done by companies buying equipment, taking advantage of the depreciation rules, et cetera, has been a positive. But that really hasn't been what's been driving our growth. It's been a help to it. But our growth is that our people understand what they're supposed to be doing. They're really executing and they're just taking advantage of the economies that we're in. All right. Now, in a, a part of the Q&A where uh, you were asked by Alex Lau about uh, cons- about customer optimism, you did mention that the tariffs are a bit of a, a game changer in terms of the cost of rebar of steel. But otherwise, deregulation is far more than offsetting that when it comes to your customer's desire to take loans down. So talk to us about that for a second. You know, I think that this deregulation thing is a big deal. You know, after the election, Last uh, the last election that we had, you and I talked not long after that. We talked about how there was a change in feel, a change in optimism of of business owners. And I think in retrospect, uh, it wasn't because there was a lot of decreased uncertainty, because there was a lot of uncertainty about what the new administration would do. But I think one thing that was intuitively understood was that the rate of, deregul- the rate of regulation would slow. And that, in fact, has happened. It's happened for our business. It's happened for other businesses. And when business has, has, more, uh, has more clarity with regard to deregulation, I think it helps them move forward. And that's been something that we've seen consistently. We have seen, uh, not to attack the media, that was done enough uh, on Saturday night at the White House Correspondents Dinner, but there is a sense these days that, you know what, you can't win, you can't lose. There is such strong employment that wages are going up. I heard you say that, yes, there are parts of Texas that have, you know, 4 under 4% unemployment. Yes, labor costs are going up, but that doesn't mean that business is going down. Oh, no, it doesn't. In fact, you know, business has been great. You know, if you take the energy business, you know, there was a problem a couple of years ago and we've been moving out of it. You know, the Permian Basin is as hot as it's ever been. I saw some numbers on the first quarter growth on energy employment. It was 21 percent annualized growth, rig count three year high. So the energy business is really, I think, recovered, particularly in the Permian. And it's beginning to recover in the Eagle Ford and some of the other some of the other basins in in the state. So but if you look broadly at the rest of the economy, we've had great growth. You know, it's yeah, it's it's hard to find people, but really good companies with good relationships can. But, you know, that that is something that us uh, that we as a nation need to be doing is figuring out how to solve the labor uh, supply issue that we have. And we have seen uh, increases in cost of labor. It's just a factor of supply and demand. 
There you go, because I think a lot of people feel like it should never go up. Uh, that's okay to ha- have booming business. Net interest margin, best increase that I've seen of the banks that I follow. How are you able to have such a huge increase in what is basically risk-free money? It's two things. One, we're asset sensitive. Higher interest rates benefit us. So they're up directionally. That's a benefit to us. Second thing, as you said earlier, loan growth, 10%, and that's broad-based. It's with regard to big deals. It's, it's the smaller core deals. It's consumer loans. It's commercial real estate. So we're in great markets, and we're able to take advantage of that. You guys have always stuck by your knitting, that uh, non-performing asset. Has it ever been lower? Non-performing assets? Yeah, um, yeah they, they are improving uh, quarter over quarter. If you look at uh, problem loans, we define as risk rate 10 and higher loans. Those are down by 25% from a year ago. Well, look, it's rather remarkable. Last thing I want to uh, be, I want to be sure that uh, north of 10% of loan book for energy, you're okay with that. Yeah, what, what we led to was the high single digits on loan growth. It could be more than that at times and maybe less than that at times, although I hope, it, hope that's not the case. You know, we've been guiding to high single digits. And the thing we're really guiding to, Jim, is sustainability. What we want is consistent, above average, sustainable, organic growth through great customer experiences and make people's lives better. And we do that within the great economies of Texas. And it's been good for us. We need you up here. I'm so tired of people being so negative. I like people being put to work and making good money. And they do, and everybody benefits. I want to thank Phil Green, Chairman and CEO of Colin Frost Bankers, for putting a little what I regard as being optimism in the stories that we hear. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Jim. Uh, what can I say? I, you know, when, when people are paid more, uh, despite what the papers say, that, that's good. Their money's back at the break. We've all heard of the book Great Expectations. How about the book Not Great Expectations? That's why Apple's stock is soaring, because the expectations were so low. And the analysts, geez, I mean, they use these models, and the models just seem to come up with the wrong answer. And that's why that stock is popping. Most stocks have too great expectations, and that's why it's been so hard. Like I said, there's always the bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.